0: That story was told John over and over. You're the forerunner. You're coming to announce Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So John has this amazing call, this amazing faith, these amazing parents, uh, and, and he has an amazing ministry. Thousands and thousands of people are following John in the wilderness to be baptized in the Jordan. Repentance from sin. John saw so much. John rebuked, he was, he was so bold, he, was, he rebuked the religious people, and he rebuked political people, like he was not afraid to call things what they were. But John now is hearing these things, you remember John is in prison for calling out Herod. Herod took his brother Philip's wife, I'll take her, thank you, uh, and he took her as his own wife. And John called him out, but Herod loved to hear John. It's not that he didn't like him, but he did throw him into prison. Uh, and, and John's there, and he's got a crisis of faith. Crisis in his faith. And, and it's written here, I think, for you and I, because sometimes we go through things, and we talked about this last week. Sometimes we go through hard things in our life, deep things, things that's like, Lord, you could step in at any time and change this. Or how, why? Why? Especially when I hear the testimony of everything you're doing in this person's life and that person's life, and what's going on here. How come you're not doing it in my life? And then, and and Jesus, He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't sermonize him. He says, "Listen," and He shows His disciples and reminds them, "This is what I'm doing." And then he says, listen, just go remind John. Everything's okay. Everything's all right. Some, Jesus said that in this world, John 16, you're going to have tribulation. Trouble's going to come in this world. Difficulty's going to come. Christian or not a Christian. But as a Christian, troubles are going to come. Jesus actually tells the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, he says, he says, listen, be faithful unto death. He doesn't say I'm going to rescue from that. Be faithful unto death. Don't give up, he's telling that church who's being crushed under persecution. Nero would uh, burn Rome down, burn Rome to the ground and blame the Christians. Say they did it. Ro- Nero was crazy, a Roman leader. He would dip Christians in wax and at night, and and hang them in his gardens, and light them on fire, alive, and drive through his gardens uh, naked on a chariot, saying, you're the light of the world. Nero was nuts. Nero would would dress Christians in sheep's skin in the Colosseum, put them in the Colosseum, and let the lions loose so people could watch. Persecution for the Christians was going to be great, and Jesus said, listen, endure to the end. Don't give up. Don't give up. And it was not unusual. If you look back at the Old Testament, David struggled. Moses struggled. Elijah with things going on. These mighty men you look at in the Bible and say, wow, these are great examples. They struggled. And John here is wrestling with his faith. Like, what's happening? And what Jesus does in John 22, it's actually Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. He reminds John of his faith. And the word of God. Why? That's our foundation. He brings John back to his faith. John, don't lose track. Don't let circumstance in your life knock you off from the path of your life. The faith that you've had. The call that you've had. And John will never get out of prison. John was probably very discouraged. Like Felt like a failure. I'm arrested. Where's my ministry? What's going on? And we can feel that way sometimes. Like,
1: Lord, don't you see what's happening to me? Discouraged. Hardships can be very
0: difficult. When we go through difficult things in our life, we have to hold on. Jesus brings him back to the word of God. Reminds him what he's doing, what's important. And he says, blessed is he, who's not offended, not stumbled. Blessed is he who's not stumbled because of me. In Mark's gospel, we'll look at this not next week because we won't be in Luke next week. We might be, but not in chapter 8. But Jesus in in Luke chapter 8 and in in Mark chapter 4 talks about the sower sowing the seed which is the word of God. And he goes out and it lands on different soil. That's the ground of our heart. And he says, some of it lands and it lands on the wayside and the fowls of the air come and snatch it. And some of it lands and it's very shallow soil. And, and it springs up and, and it looks like, wow, this is great. This is, looks like great faith. And then he says, trouble, difficulties, and tribulation, trials come. And people's faith fall away, and that happens. It happens to people. That's why it's so important to be in the Bible, in the Word of God, to get encouraged, to have that. You know, I drive by churches, and I assume everyone's reading the Bible, teaching the Bible. I just, and I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, I, and you certainly don't have to come to this church. But if you go to a church, if you find a church, go to a church that's teaching you the word of God. It's going through the Bible. Isaiah was mocked. I think it's Isaiah chapter 35. These people were saying, listen, do you think we're babies? Do you think we're infants to teach line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little? What do you think we are, children, kids? Let's step it up, Isaiah. Isaiah. And Isaiah doesn't change his message. It's so important. Paul told the Ephesian elders, he says, listen, I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of the word of God. I don't take a little section and focus on that. And then a little, he says, I've t- told you everything. i you the whole counsel of God's word, A to Z. That's why it's important to be in the word for yourself. Read the Bible. See if what I'm saying, number one, is true, if that's what the Bible says. Number two, build on your faith. That's how you build it, being in the Word of God. This is just a little piece of what's going on in your life, right, Sunday morning. The Word of God is the foundation. It's the anchor. Because if you don't have that anchor, you'll easily stumble. You'll easily fall. It's so easy to fall if your foundation is sand when the storms come, when the trials come, the difficulties come. He says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John, that's what, that's what uh, Peter, Jesus is telling Peter in John 21, listen, you're going you're gonna to have some troubles, Peter. You're going to end up in a place that you don't want to go, being a part of things you don't want to be a part of, actually, and Peter's going to be crucified. Uh, many people, many Bible historians say that he was crucified upside down. For his faith. And Jesus is warning Peter of that in John 21. Listen, people are going to take you. And that's what's going to happen to you, Peter. And Peter looks at John and says, Hey, what about him? What about that guy?
1: I hope something bad's going to happen to him too, right? It just. Because when things are going on in people's
0: lives and you look and you compare, like, why I'm my life is harder. Just like this uh, church of Smyrna, listen, hang in there. This isn't the end. This isn't, this isn't the end of the story. When you take your last breath here, you're
1: going you're to take a breath somewhere. forever. forever. Teaching the word of God, it's important. the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation.
0: It's foundation. It says this in verse 24, moving on. Uh, when they leave, it says, uh, verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And he starts to talk about John. Hey, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garment? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled live in luxury and they're in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? And he says, I say to you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will will prepare your way before you. Jesus says, listen, John wasn't a guy that was shaken with every wind. He wasn't culturally relevant. He didn't have to... Conform to what everyone thought a, a pastor should say or a person should say. I don't want, he, he wasn't a guy that was afraid to offend the people. He told people what God said, what God's word said, because that's what matters. If you go to the doctor with an illness, you don't want people to say, here's a band aid, you'll be fine. You want to know what the diagnosis is so you can get the right treatment. And that's the way it is spiritually, eternally. You want to know the facts. Tell me what the facts are. What's truth? What's not truth? I've heard this. I've heard this. What is the truth? And that's what John would do. <clears throat> he would just share the truth. It offended a lot of people, but it didn't sway him. He wasn't just to read, oh, I just don't want to offend those people. I shouldn't say that in front of them. I have to be careful. Be careful. Right? John was very, he was a, a
1: guy I'm sure was loving because people received his message. But he didn't hold back. He was honest. And what made John so powerful is
0: John didn't just preach a message, he lived it. He responded to the message himself. This is the one I told you who's going to prepare the way. He didn't just tell you about the way. He didn't just tell you this was coming. He lived it. His life, you could peer into his life the way uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, the, the qualifications, that you could look into someone's life and see those things happening. You could walk into someone's house. You could walk into John's house. He lived in the wilderness and probably in a tent. But you could say, you know, what's in your fridge? What's in your cupboard? What's on your internet? What's in your,
1: what's your life look like? And he could look in there, and John's life lined up with the Word of God. It wasn't anything hidden. John wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. He wasn't sinless. He's was a guy that responded to the message and walked in it. And then he says this in, in, in uh, verse 28. Jesus commends John.
0: John probably didn't feel like he could be commended. John didn't do a miracle. Of all the prophets that you read about, says this, For I say unto you, among those who are born of women, there isn't a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Lord, what do you mean? John probably didn't feel great. John never performed one miracle. His ministry lasted 18 months, and at the end of it, he ends
1: up in jail and beheaded. Rough life. And Jesus and and John's disciples aren't there. John's not
0: here, but he commends him. He says there's none greater than John the Baptist. Why?
1: What made John so great? such as short little ministry. What made him so amazing? Opportunity.
0: Privilege. John got to see what every other Old Testament prophet spoke of. When they talked about Messiah coming, you talk about Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. I mean, those are heavy hitters. And Jesus said, he's greater than all of them not because what he said was greater, but because of his opportunity. They all pointed to a Lamb of God, somebody that was going to be a sacrifice for sin, a Messiah that was going to be cut off. uh, uh, Psalm uh, 22 describes crucifixion before it was ever even invented, hundreds of years in advance. Like, this is how Messiah is going to die. They all pointed to it, but John... Got to say, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. What a privilege he had. There's nobody greater in opportunity and privilege. What John, and, but then Jesus said, he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What, what does that mean? That means we got to see a lot more than John. We got to see the Lamb crucified. We got to see the Lamb resurrected. There's an empty tomb in Israel. We got to see the church born. We got to see what Jesus did. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. We, have to, we got to see the completion of the word of God, the whole New Testament. John didn't have that. We have the full counsel, the whole word of God. The privilege to say, this is what the Bible said years ago,
1: hundreds of years ago. Here's what happened. Amazing. Privilege. Opportunity to share what's going on. And then he says
0: this in verse 29, When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. John was baptizing the baptism of repentance. That's change. That's what repentance means. It means to change your mind, to think differently, to agree with someone else. And he says, and he says tax collectors because in the Jews' mind, they were the worst sinners. They were, they were people that betrayed Israel, worked for Rome, and exorbitantly taxed the people. Rome wanted this much, and they took this much and kept the balance They could do whatever they want. They worked for Rome. They were Jews. And he says, you know what? Even the tax collectors responded to the message. Right? And that's what baptism, and when you get baptized, you know, when I was baptized, when I first got baptized, I was baptized in a church that I don't remember being baptized, right? Because I was a baby. But baptism, the response of baptism, you do that when you actually have knowledge of what you're doing. Right, you get baptized when you realize, "Wow, I, I realize I'm a sinner, I need a Savior," and I agree with what the Bible says, and you get baptized, and it's a reflection, you know, down with the old man, the old lifestyle, or whatever, and then you're raised anew. It's a picture of death and resurrection. And he said, and and Jesus says, "Listen, that's what happened. Even the tax collectors." They justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, the lawyers, don't think of a lawyer as in uh, you know, the lawyers today. A lawyer was a religious, somebody who looked at the law of God, Moses, the law of Moses, and they studied it, and they knew it. These were the people that knew the Bible, that knew the Old Testament better than anyone. It says that they, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So baptism didn't matter. They, those guys could have rejected, been baptized outwardly and still rejected the message, right? The, the reality is, is they rejected God's will. God's will, it says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That was the problem. They rejected that message. They were not willing to change. They didn't see a need for change. They knew the Bible. They knew it better than some of the people following John the Baptist, following Jesus.
1: They looked down on people, religious leaders. And they thought, you know what? I don't need that. The, the only way you'll ever know god's will for your life
0: is if you surrender yours if you think your life is exactly the way you've designed
1: it and planned it and you're walking right you can stay the course the bible says that you, that you're
0: his workmanship that the word is poema in the greek that it's a story the way you would, what the same word we would write a poem or a story that that's the story of your life. If the story of your life isn't going as planned, the Bible says that God has one written in Christ Jesus for good works, foreordained from the, before the foundations of the world that you can walk in those. That's what God has for a life. And we're going to look at a, a, a woman that, that responds to that. Probably the greatest, one of the greatest stories you'll read in the New Testament, amazing, just responds to that. She's not a religious person, not one of the lawyers or the Pharisees. She sees her need. She sees a, her life has been messed up for a long time. They rejected God's will for their lives. And the number one,
1: God's number one will for a life is that they would be saved. Have a fresh start, a new beginning. And then Jesus goes on to teach these guys. It says in verse
0: uh, 31, he says, what shall I like in the men of this generation? And What are they like? What can I compare it to? And Jesus says, they're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, saying, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We mourned to you, and you didn't weep. He says, the, the men of this generation are immature. They're like children. And then he describes a scene that would be uh, very under- understandable. There was a market, and the ladies would go and, uh, and go shopping in a market if you've ever traveled uh, Maybe like a farmer's market here, but if you've ever been to another country, you go to a place and there's just, you can buy anything. You can buy tires and sh- shocks and you can buy sneakers or anyth- all, anything you want at a market. Uh, and, and so while the ladies are shopping, the kids are playing in the market. And they're playing, you know, Lydia was my greatest player. Uh, she got the kids to do mostly old-fashioned, but she got the kids to play whatever, whatever. And they would just play different games and pretend. And that's what Jesus is saying. When he says, you, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance, that's like playing wedding. Like, this is a marriage. Like, we're, right? And, and, you know, probably Lydia held Josh's hand or, you know, had somebody hold hands with Josh because they played this stuff. And then he says, and we mourned to you and you did not weep. That's like a funeral. Like, got a little morbid. Uh, in the marketplace. They played all kinds of games. But Jesus is saying, you're like children. You're never happy with one game. You go, go from one thing to the next. It's like, you know, whoever's got the remote control and there's more than one person in the room, who's happy? At least the one with the remote control is usually happy, right? Because everyone wants to watch something different. They turn football on. Oh, I watched football last week. It's only on once a week or a couple times a week. Come on. Or, you know, and I want to watch something sad, or I want to watch something funny, or I want to watch some action.
1: Let's watch football. It's got it all, right? So, but they're never happy.
0: And then he goes on and says in verse 33, John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's saying you're not, it's, it, you find fault in everyone. John the Baptist came a little different than the way Jesus came. But you, you, you're so critical, and you're fault-finding, and you're never happy. And it's not that they're not happy with the person or who they are. What the the problem is, is the message. They're not happy with the message. I don't want to hear that. That's the one thing I don't want to play. I don't want to know the truth. I'd rather play a game. I'd rather pretend.
1: I'd rather pretend I never heard that message. I'd rather pretend. And Jesus said, you guys are never happy.
0: And you won't be. And then he says something very important. Wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom is it's qualified by people that follow that wisdom. Right? The, the, the Bible is amazing. If you read the Bible and you're sincere, and you're a sincere seeker, like, I don't believe it. Well, read it and try it. You At least just check it out. Check out, maybe even just Google some Bible prophecy. Or history, because historically this thing is right on the money. There's times when people pointed at the Bible and said, "Nah, nah, the Bible says this," and we've never seen those people, that king, that. And then the more the the archaeologists unearth things, they realize, "Oh wow, that's true. The Bible did say that." And prophecy what it says hundreds and even thousands of years in advance, things that are going to happen. Amazing. But the one thing you can't deny, wisdom is justified of her, of her children, is a life that's changed. You can't deny that. You can't deny uh, somebody who becomes a Christian and you're like, you know, your head starts spinning like, what the heck, I knew them before. I knew what they were like. I knew what they did. I knew how they talked. I knew how they lived. They act that way at church, but I know them, you know, at work or at, on Friday nights or Saturday night, whatever it is, and then they're not that way anymore. There's a radical change in a life. You cannot deny that truth, that people are transformed by the gospel, by a message, that people respond to it, and it's supernatural, that it's real. You can't deny it.
1: It's the most powerful message on the planet. There's no other book like this on the planet. Wisdom is justified by her children. And then we hear this story, and we're going to finish up right here. Kind of powerful. And then it says, one of the Pharisees, We find out that this is Simon.
0: I'll just read to verse uh, 40, and then we'll jump back so we don't miss it. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and it says, stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And when the Pharisees who had invited him, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He didn't even say it out loud. He says, ah, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner or a not- notorious sinner. And then Jesus said to him, Simon, i got to say something to you. And Simon says, go ahead, say it. So this woman goes into to the house of Simon. Uh, that's a big no-no, number one. this Religious people would definitely not let this woman uh, into their home. He knows her. She's notorious. He says she's a notorious sinner. Luke says she's a notorious sinner in verse 37. And Jesus will say it, uh, if we kept reading, he'll, he'll say her sins which are many. Some people think this is Mary Magdalene. Doesn't name her though. But does it, I'm not saying it is her. But people, some people think that that's who this is, Mary Magdalene, whose seven demons were cast out of her. We'll read about her in chapter 8. People think that that's her and and the sin that this woman has probably is prostitution. She was
1: probably a prostitute. She was probably someone promiscuous. And Simon invites Jesus into his house and Jesus
0: comes in and sits down at a table and don't picture your dining room table because that's not the tables they ate at. They ate at a very low table, uh, and you would you would lay out. I don't know. In my mind, I want to say maybe you sat on your your kind of on your knees, but really they they would have their arm on the table, and their their legs would be spread out, and they would eat kind of with their hands. Like it wasn't like everyone gets their own plate. Everyone shared things. They would dip in the same sauces together. You take a hunk of bread and and dip it. So Jesus they're all sitting at this table this Pharisee's house and this woman shows up. And a lot of times if if it, you know they didn't have Instagram or f- you know they couldn't say hey I got Jesus at my house and send a big group message out or whatever. The people were following Jesus. And so when somebody famous or influential came to someone's house, part of what they would do is leave the windows doors open so you could see in, so you could hear what was going on. It was kind of a little bit of a pride thing. Like, I got Jesus in my house. Look at this, you know, eating at my house. So this woman sneaks right in and, and, and does this thing. It says she has this flask of oil. It's probably her dowry. It's very expensive. It's, it's, it w- basically would be her life savings. It was something that probably her mom and dad gave her. Something that the probably, it, with her lifestyle, it's the last thing of value that she has. And it represented hopes and dreams she had of having a family and a husband and a changed life. She has this, this, this bottle, and she, she's just... She, she it probably represented a lot of bad decisions she's made in her life. A lot of dumb things she's done that she didn't intend on doing because she grew up playing those same games. She played marriage. She held a little boy's hand. She probably thought, oh, my mom really wants, you know, to hope we get together. And, and this girl has t- taken a hard turn in her life. She's had a rough life. She's, she's got a terrible reputation in the town, Simon knows it, and everybody knows it. Luke knows it, Jesus knows it, Simon knows it, and this girl is like, this is my hope. This is my chance. She comes in, and probably didn't intend to, but she opens up this oil, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, and she just starts crying, right? Just, she loses it, unintentionally, she doesn't have a towel to wipe his feet. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm making a mess. And she takes her hair out, which is not cultural, right? They would keep their hair up. She's like, what am I, what do I do? Do I grab Jesus' towel? Do I I'll just use my hair? She begins to wipe his feet and just begins to sob. I don't know if you've ever done that, like cried. I'm not a crier, but sometimes I'll watch a movie, a true story, and it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids don't see. I'll be studying or, you know, I'll hear something. I'll like, hold it together, right? But this girl can't hold it together. She loses it. She just begins to weep at Jesus' feet and her tears. You know, the psalmist talks about a tear bottle, right? The, the, it, it says this uh, in Psalm 56. It says, you know all my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in thy book? And the idea there is as you're wandering your life, a a, a woman would wear wear a tear bottle and something happened in her life and she would cry over it. She would grab a tear and put it in that bottle because she knew God was keeping track of those tears. She'd put it in that bottle and she'd hold on to it. She might have had both bottles. I don't think she needed the tear bottle when she lost it, but she may have had that too. God knew everything she was going through and everything that was happening in her life and how bad it was for her, probably many of her own bad decisions. And she just loses it. She begins to cry. She gives Jesus everything she
1: has, this fragrant oil. She kissed his feet, anointed him with the fragrant oil. Fragrant oil. And the Pharisees like, aha, I got you. You're not who you say you are,
0: Jesus. Because if you were, you know who this woman was. And you know my opinion of this woman. She's a lost cause. She's got no hope, no help, no chance. She's destroyed her life. There's no way to change.
1: And if you would have known that, Jesus, you wouldn't be letting her do that. Touch your feet. Anoint you? So Jesus wants to tell Simon something. He's not moved at all by this whole thing.
0: And Jesus said, listen, can, can I ask you a question? Can I say something to you? Simon says, yeah, go ahead. You can. It doesn't really matter what you say because I already know. I've got
1: discernment. And here's the reality. People are in grave danger of religion judgment and your own goodness I'm better than them better than you I don't do what you do he doesn't see his need for Jesus because he's better than the next guy and he's definitely better than this woman and Jesus goes on and tells him a story he says, there's a certain creditor who had two
0: debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And here's the, here's the kicker. Neither one had any, anything to repay. A denarii or a denarii, whatever your Bible says, uh, it, it's a day's wage, basically. Represents kind of a day's wage, average wage. And it says, neither one had anything to repay. And he freely forgave them both. He says, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? Who's going to love more? Kind of a simple question. You don't have to read the next verse to figure out the answer, right? If you can just think of your debt and compare your debt that you owe on your TV versus your house or your whatever, right? I'm pretty sure that I feel like if somebody paid for my house, might love him a little more than if he. No. It, that that's the that's what the comparison he's making here. Neither one had the ability to pay. Which one will love more? And Simon said, Well, I suppose, like he now he's not even, well, maybe. Like he's not even willing to make a, a firm like, like in your mind, you even know what the answer is. I suppose the one. Whom he forgave more. And he said, Yep, Simon, bingo, that's the answer. You've rightly judged.
1: And he turned to the woman and he's looking at the woman and he says to Simon, Turn to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman?
0: I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. That was customary. This is all hospitable things. You'd walk with open-toed shoes and you'd go into someone's house and uh, someone would wash your feet. You'd have your feet washed. It's almost like when you go to someone's house, especially if it's muddy and you kick off your shoes, like someone would wash their feet. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. That was customary in the day. No kissing here, though. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, something very costly. Therefore, I say to you, you're right. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He wants to reassure her of that fact. Don't worry about what Simon thinks. Don't worry about what people think or this world thinks. I forgive you. Because people are going to come behind you and say, oh, really? No, not true. Simon has certainly given that vibe off to this woman. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know what saved this woman? It wasn't the kiss. It wasn't the fragrant oil. It wasn't even her love. It was her faith, her belief. Jesus, I believe you. I believe you can forgive sins. And they even say that. People in the room are like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's who Jesus is.
1: Isaiah declares that truth. Only God alone can forgive sins. And he says, your sins
0: are forgiven. And then he says, go in peace. What he's saying is your future is full of peace. You might have turmoil, trouble, difficulties, but you can walk in peace knowing you're forgiven. I'm with you. I'm
1: on your side. No matter what happens, I cast your sin as far as the east is from the west.
0: Amazing what Jesus does for, for a person. Because he loves them. You come to him by faith. It's so simple. So simple. You cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ today changes lives. That people are
1: different because of what he's done and what he's doing. Right? So, Lord, we just thank you for
0: your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the powerful testimony of this woman. We don't even know who she is. But the reality is, is some of us are 500 denarii sinners, and some of us are 50. But none of us have what it takes to pay our debt eternally for our sins.
1: But Jesus, you freely forgive If we ask, that's faith. We thank you so much for that, Lord. We love you.
0: Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for a fresh start, a new beginning, changed life. Thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We love you so much, Lord, in your name. Amen.